I just feel like we need to sit down and talk for a minute, you know, or get going here. It's been, you know, the, the go to bed last night, don't sleep well to start with, get up in the morning, feel like a train's hit you, you don't really feel good. I'm not being unfriendly with you people today. I don't want to touch you because if I've got something, I don't want you to have it. And if you've got something, I don't want what you've got right now. So just, you know, let's sort of do what we do. Uh, get over here. We've got the chapel service started back up this morning. A number of great volunteers working real hard. The electronics aren't working. The screen's not coming down. You know, if I didn't know better, I would think that the devil's probably trying to mess with us a little bit to keep things off kilter so we don't really hear what we're going to do, that we just sort of go into a trance and go. But we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we're supposed to do and move on, and, and there you'll go. And when I get through with it, you may still lean back and go, what? But that's okay. We don't care every, every now and then. Um, at least you didn't have to walk through the snow to go to the bathroom this morning. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm telling y'all, I cannot wait until Bo gets back. <laughs> this is just going to be great. Anyway, uh, the scripture this morning is the entire chapter 7 of John. So I'm not going to read it to you. You're going to have to go home do that on your own. Uh, the entire seventh chapter of John is, is what we're dealing with. Now, to catch you up on what's going on here, Jesus is in Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of Israel. Israel is, is uh, the northern part of Israel that's on the border with Lebanon. And that's where he's hanging out because he can't go to the southern part. He can't go to Jerusalem they're, they are already probably a year away from crucifixion, maybe six months away from crucifixion. And the leaders had already made up their mind that Jesus had to go away. They'd already made that decision that he's got to go. And if he goes there, they'll try to arrest him and all that kind of stuff. And he says it's not time for all of that. It will come in due course, but not just yet. Now, it's time of the year that one of the three festivals that they have every year, it's that time of year when everybody, all of the men are supposed to come to this festival. It's called the Festival of Booths, and it commemorates when they were in the wilderness, and water came from the rock, and manna came from heaven, and God took care of everybody. All of the men have to attend, and of course, if men are going to attend, their wives have to come so the men don't get lost on the journey. Y'all know the drill. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Jesus' brothers, he's, Jesus is with his brothers. There were babies born after him who were his brothers. He was the oldest. And they didn't believe in him. And all of the talk that he had, they just thought he was crazy. And so they're trying to cajole him into going on down to Jerusalem. You want to be somebody, you need to be on YouTube. You know, you got to have your video channel. Well, you want to be somebody, you got to go to Jerusalem so everybody can see you and get down there and go on, buddy, and, and, and let them know who you are. And Jesus says, no, nah, guys, y'all are nuts. Leave me alone. Y'all go on. I'm not going. But once they're gone and the festival is in full swing, then Jesus decides he's going to head on down there and he shows up. He teaches in the temple. The chapel is full of what, uh, is full of what people are saying about him. The leadership want him dead. The general populace of people, some of them say he's Messiah, some of them say he's a good prophet, some of them say he's a lunatic. All of this, they're saying very quietly in the background because the leaders want him dead and you don't cross the leaders. So there's this quiet little murmuring going on. 
Jesus says some very important things in this chapter. We're going to look at them as we go through. But the ominous part of this chapter is at the very end of it, when John makes it very clear that the local leadership has made up their mind, they don't care who Jesus is, he's got to go, period. So there you go. That's the overview of the whole chapter. Now, when I sit down to prepare a message, I don't necessarily know where it's going to go when I sit down. I've started reading it earlier in the week, reading the text. I know the basic message. I know the gist of it. But when you sit down and you start reading, then it, 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 sometimes it goes to a different place. And that's what happened this week. Because I got to thinking about, in this scripture, all of these people are talking about Jesus. And they're all good church people. They've shown up at the, at the uh, Festival of Booths. And they're all good church folks. And we know what they were saying about Jesus. We, I want to know, I wanted to know what are people in the world, in the country, saying about Jesus. So I went to Google because Google knows everything and the internet never lies. And I typed in, who is Jesus? Because I wanted to hear what people other than Christians were saying about Jesus. 49,300,000 links to answer the question, who is Jesus? 49 million. Google would let me see 345 before any of y'all ever done any research. You know that you get to a point in Google where Google says, listen, everything you've read is sort of what, like everything after this is going to be. You really don't need to go there. I'll show it to you if you want to, but there's no need to go there. So 345 links before it gave me that message. I looked at like 10 different pages of links and read all kinds of stuff. In those, most of them... Most of them were Christian-type posts. I saw Billy Graham's links. I saw church links. I saw all these people trying to save people with an Internet page. Every, everything I read was trying to get me to believe in Jesus. And I thought, well, that, that's all great, but I don't know how effective all this is. But I didn't see anything from anybody that didn't believe in Jesus. So I wrote this in. This is creepy. This is creepy. I'm telling you, this is creepy. I had trouble typing it because you don't say stuff like this. But I typed in the, the little bar, I hate Jesus. Enter. And I got what I was looking for, except I didn't whole kinds of links out there where people, because I figure if you don't believe in Jesus, right, somebody probably hates him. So I type it in, and lo and behold, there's a guy there that says, I hate Jesus, and he's got a blog post that talks about that. Nothing he wrote surprised me. What surprised me, what surprised me about the page was the Christian's response to this guy. The guy was foul-mouthed. I didn't, that didn't surprise me. I'm not giving you the link because I don't want the 12-year-olds in here to run home and grab their tablets and look it up and read it. Nothing on there that's worthwhile reading. But the Christian people, they were ugly. The Christian people were ugly. They were hateful. They were devoid of just basic social skills and there was no Jesus in their replies. They were all telling this guy, you're going to die and go to hell. Well, okay. 
Number one, he didn't believe that. And number two, how did that help anything? How in the world did you grab somebody by the collar and shake them and start screaming in their face, you're going to go to hell? That doesn't seem to do much for them. You know what I mean? And that's what these people were doing. Few of the Christians replying to that guy were for that guy. They, were, they would call themselves good, God-fearing people, but I wouldn't want to hang around any one of them. I didn't like those people. I didn't like the post that they posted for this guy. So it got me to thinking. All right, just follow my warped logic. Got me to thinking. Everybody that went to the Festival of Booths were supposed to be God-fearing people, right? God says, go to the festival. And all of these people went to the festival. So they were being obedient to God. So how were they acting? What did they say? How did they do? And so I read through there just looking for how people were living and how they responded and what they were saying. And I found seven different ways that people were acting that day. Excuse me. And we're not going to go through all seven. We don't have enough time for that. We're going to go through three that I picked. If you get the devotions, uh, we're starting that back this week. I took the holidays off. Now we're doing the devotions again. If you get those through the email, you'll see all seven of them in the devotions, and you can read, and you can agree or disagree with me if you want to. That's fine. You might find more. You might see a little bit less. I don't know. I found seven, but we're going to look at three this morning, three ways that people behave that haven't changed in 2,000 years. The first way that people behave that hasn't changed in 2,000 years is people love a juicy story. People absolutely love a juicy story. Verse 12, and there was a lot of murmuring. I love that word, murmuring about him in the crowds. Some were saying he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Murmuring. Murmuring is a cool word. Murmur is a soft, indistinct sound made by a person or a group of people speaking quietly or at a distance. Have you ever walked into a room? Or you're walking into a room, the door's open, you're walking into the room. Maybe this has never happened to you. This has happened to me. You're walking into this room, doors are open, you can't hear what people are saying. All you hear is this sort of me, 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 me kind of thing, right? A little low sound. That's murmuring. And then when you walk in the rooming, the mur- room, the murmuring stops. And you know who they're talking about. It gets real quiet. Yeah, that's murmuring. They were murmuring. These people didn't know what to make about Jesus. They had heard all the stories and what the leaders were saying and what other people were saying, and they all have their ideas and their opinions, and they're gathered up in little groups and little places, and they're all talking about what they think about Jesus, what they think about Jesus, what do you think about Jesus, what do you think about Jesus? And y'all know as well as I do, Scripture doesn't say it, but this is how it works, that when you tell a story to you and you tell a story to you and you tell a story to you, that by the time it gets over this side of the room, we're not even talking about the same person. Things just come, and that's, and that's what they're doing, murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. Not much has changed. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. Number two, your sin is horrible. Mine's not quite so bad. Your sin is awful, and you should be condemned. My sin, I'm forgiven, and it's okay. Verse 19, Jesus is talking to those folks, and he says, didn't Moses give you the law? 
yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? One of the things that the religious leaders had them all stirred up about Jesus, we've studied this, we talked about it a few weeks ago. He healed a man on the Sabbath day, and you couldn't do that. That was against the church rules. Jesus was working that day, and you don't get to work. No, no one cared about the fact that this man hadn't walked in 20-something years. Nobody cared. They didn't care that the man was going to be able to live a life, get married, have a job, all the things he was going to be able to do that never been able to do before. They didn't care about that. What they cared about is you can't do that in church. You broke the law. He did something they didn't like. And so they started plotting against Jesus to kill him. You do see the problem, right? One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, yeah, thou shalt not kill. So you broke the church rules, and we're going to kill you for it. That's, your sin is horrible. My sin's okay. I'm not going to take any further than that because y'all know we do the same thing. We all do the same thing. What you do is awful, and I don't look at the fingers pointing back at me and realize that what I'm doing is equally as awful. If I can make you worse than me, then i got to be better, right? And everything's okay. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. The, the third one that we're going to look at real quick is I believe what I believe. <laughs> I love this one. This is church. I believe what I believe, and what I believe is the truth, and I don't need to know anything more. I believe what I believe, and what I believe is the truth, and the rest of the facts just don't matter. Verses 50, 50 and 52. Nicodemus, we talked about him before, back in chapter 3. He came to Jesus previously. He was one of the leaders. He said to them, our law, he's quoting the rules to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You're, you're, you aren't from Galilee too, are you? The leaders replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophets arise out of Galilee. The leaders had sent their police. What had happened? The leaders sent the police out to go get Jesus. They went and they heard Jesus and they couldn't bring themselves to arrest him. So they come back to the leaders and said, we couldn't get him. The leaders got all mad at him. And Nicodemus, chapter 3, Nicodemus quoted the rules to them. What did we say a minute ago? Truth is my truth, and I don't care about hearing anything else. They quoted the rules to them. He reminded them, listen, guys, you haven't even talked to Jesus face to face. That made them even matter. But you know what? What would have happened if they'd talked to Jesus face to face? They would have found he was born in Bethlehem which is where the prophet was supposed to come from, where the Messiah was supposed to come from. But they didn't want to bother with those facts. They had the facts that they wanted, and everything was the way they wanted it to be. I don't need to know the facts. I don't care about the facts. I know what I know. I heard what I heard. There's no need to talk. I've judged there's guilt. he's guilty. There's nothing else to talk about. Y'all dealt with that before haven't you where you talk to somebody maybe you're in business and you've got a customer that's wrong and you know they're wrong but you can't change their mind because they know they're right facts don't matter and I know you school teachers <laughs> I've argued with you before myself <laughs> yeah so smart knowing all the answers and teachers sitting there going what 
We went through those three bits of human nature for a reason. When people do what comes naturally to them, when people do what comes naturally to them, they leave behind a trail of chaos and confusion. When people do what comes naturally to people, we leave behind a trail of chaos and confusion. You go home and re read chapter 7, and when you read chapter 7, you listen to it because it's full of chaos and confusion and murmuring and this person talking and that person talking. These people saying this, these other people are saying this, and it's full of that. Have y'all ever walked into some place that was so confusing that you just sort of had to stop for a minute? When Gloria Mayhew went to, to Grady Hospital, I'd never been to Grady. I thought I'd visited every hospital in Atlanta, and I'd never been to Grady. And you walk down the streets of Atlanta, and that's what you expect. There's strange people all over the place doing strange people things. There's business people walking down the street. There's all this stuff going on. You walk into the front door of Grady, and you enter a completely different country. I'm serious. It's a completely different place. Walked in and, and literally hesitated for a second or two. It was like being in a movie where you've got the main character that walks in and there's all this stuff going on and the camera pans back so you can see all that's going on. Nobody looked like us. Nobody wore clothes like us. Everybody spoke crazy languages. They're going here, they're going there, they're doing this, they're doing that. Just total chaos it seemed like. You finally see one little lady sitting at the information booth with a little smile on her face and that was the only normal thing in the room. Everything else was crazy. That's what this scripture reminded me of. That's what I believe John wanted us to feel, the chaos, because you need to see chaos before you recognize peace. You don't have to be a Christ follower to understand how people act. Everything we've talked about is basic human nature. When we are left by ourselves, these are the things that we do. It was interesting over the holidays to watch all the different companies that were playing commercials about we've done this good thing, we've done this good thing. One commercial actually said the words, and I didn't catch who it was, actually said the words, we are basically all good people. And then said the good things that they did. Well, yeah, we can all do a good thing here and there. Even the worst person can do a little good thing here and there. But when we're left to our own devices, when we are left to ourselves... These are the things that we do. Now, let's talk about this. If you are a Christ follower, that means that you've surrendered your human nature to Jesus. Now listen, it means that you've said with as much sincerity as you can, I see the chaos that I live in. I see the chaos that I cause. And I don't want to live like this anymore but the harder I try, the worse I make it. I surrender my will to you, Jesus. Do with me however you want. Now think about it. Have you done that? I surrender my will to you, Jesus. Do with me whatever you want. When you do that, you're a Christ follower. You're born again. And when you do that, this scripture tells us that something happens. Jesus, in, in, in uh, uh, verse 39 those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit 
For the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Those who believed, those who surrendered themselves, give myself to Jesus. Jesus has been glorified now. We get that Holy Spirit. And what difference does that make for us? Let's paint a picture of this thing. See if you can see, see if you can see what I saw in this seventh chapter. They're at the festival of booze. People are all over the place. It is chaos there. People are coming and going and they're bringing their animals and husbands and wives and children and they're all over the place at this place. And the scripture says on the last and most important day of the festival, golly, I hope y'all can see this, on the last and most important day of the festival, that's when Jesus steps up and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. Now, he said that. Why did he say that then? Why did he say it at that place? How does this work? Jesus is in the temple. There is no carpet and there are no hardwood floors. All right? Get that out of your head. He's in the temple. Everything's made out of stone. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And up on a little platform is an altar. And that's where they've done some sacrifices. That's where the focus of attention is up on this altar. And on that altar, around that altar, are the priests. Now, on the last day, on the last day of this festival, when Jesus is speaking, all of the priests, I don't know how many there were, there were a bunch, all of the priests get as much water as they can carry. And they all come up to the altar, and they walk around the altar seven times, completion, perfection, right? Walk around seven times, and then they take this, their water buckets, and they pour it on the floor. And all of them pour all the water, as much as they can pour on the floor. So get the scene, they're up on this little platform, the water starts running down the steps, it gets all over the floor, everywhere they're at. What that symbolizes was y'all remember, I don't know if you remember or not, we've talked about it before, where Moses, they were in the wilderness, they, were, they needed water, didn't have it. He went to the rock, he was supposed to speak to it, he hid it instead. All this water gushed out. There was enough water that gushed out to give water to a million people. That's a big river. That's a lot of water coming out. So that's what this is about. They're pouring all of this water, and all this water is running down the steps, and in the middle of that water stands this man named Jesus who says to everybody, if you thirst for God, come to me. I don't know how to get the image across, but I think about if I had the choir standing up here, and I stood in front, of in front of the choir and went, if you want to sing, come to me. Forget them. You come to me. He's got all of the people up here to do sacrifices that are supposed to be leading you to God. The water's flowing down around his feet. And Jesus says to them, if you want to know God, if you're thirsty for God, I'm the man you talk to. And when you surrender yourself to my will, I will make living water flow out of you. And here's how all this behavior thing fits together. See, when you're a Christ follower, chaos isn't supposed to follow you. Disorder isn't supposed to follow you. 
peace follows us because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Rivers of living water to come out of us to bring peace to a situation, to bring calm to a situation, to bring comfort to a situation because the Holy Spirit in us does that. When we are slaves to our human nature, we're not living for God, we're not living for our neighbor, we're not living for our community, we're not living for us. We're living for the evil one. He loves chaos. He loves disorder. When we say, have y'all ever said this? I, 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 I confess to you, I think I've said it once or twice in my life. I know this is not right, but I heard some murmuring. I think that means you agree that you've probably said it once or twice yourself too. When we do that, I'm not for God, I'm for the adversary. There's one last thing that I wanted to say and then tie all this stuff together. In verse 38, Jesus says, The one who believes in me, who surrenders himself to me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him, as the Scripture has said. Look at what the Old Testament said, Zechariah 13. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. Zechariah 14 says, on that day there will be no light. The sunlight and the moonlight will diminish. It will be a unique day known only to the Lord without day or night, but there will be a light at the evening. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it toward the eastern sea, the other half toward the western sea in summer and winter alike. On that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. On the day that Jesus was crucified, what happened? Matthew tells us that from noon until 3 o'clock, the sunlight and the moonlight were diminished. And Jesus was on a cross. He died there. Blood and water flowed from his side to wash us of sin and impurity. He was buried in a tomb where he buried our sins, never to be resurrected again. And those who surrender to him, he fills with rivers of living water. I want to challenge you with just a couple of questions. When you look back over the last five years of your life, did you leave behind a path of chaos or did you leave behind a path of living water, of peace? And if you look back and you see chaos, do you understand that surrendering to Jesus is what takes care of all that? Would you pray with me? It's one of the prayers of the Puritans. I've got a Puritan prayer book, and this one sort of nails me. Oh, Lord, no day of my life has passed that has not proved me guilty in your sight. Prayers have been uttered from a prayerless heart. Praise has often has been often praiseless sound. My best services are filthy rags. Blessed Jesus, let me find a covert in thy appeasing wounds. Though my sins rise to heaven, thy merits soar above them. Though unrighteousness weighs me down to hell, 
your righteousness exalts me to your throne. All things in me call for my rejection, yet all things in you plead for my acceptance. I appeal from the throne of perfect justice to your throne of boundless grace. Grant me to hear your voice assuring me that your stripes, by your stripes I am healed, that thou wast bruised for my iniquities, that thou hast been made sin for me that I might be righteous in thee, that my grieving sin, grievous sins, my manifold sins are all forgiven, buried in the ocean of thy concealing blood. I am guilty, but pardoned, lost, but saved, wandering, but found, sinning, but cleansed. Give me perpetual brokenheartedness. Keep me always clinging to your cross. Flood me every moment with descending grace. Open to me the springs of divine knowledge, sparkling like crystal, flowing clear and unsullied through the wilderness of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I ask you if you would, have you ever surrendered yourself to the will of Jesus? And that's the invitation. Would you stand?